And welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, one minute at a time or thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buddery. And it is our, I think, final installment of Indianapolis month, or it's certainly the last bit of, of Quince talking. Um, and we have a guest joining us today. Very exciting. Um, so welcome to the show, Shoria Chavla. Shoria, welcome. Uh, excited to have you here. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much, you guys. I'm uh, really excited to be here and to talk. <laughs> <laughs> that is what we have got you here for, is to talk about Jaws. Um, so just as a way of introducing yourself uh, to, to our listeners, um, what is it about Jaws that made you uh, want to to come on and, and talk to us um, Yeah, on, on, on this podcast? Uh, what is it you love about Jaws and uh, why that has led you to being on a minute-by-minute breakdown podcast of it? My intro, so I should probably start my intro to Jaws. Um, it was actually not as far back as for as it was for some people. Like I think I saw this for the first time when I was in high school. It was summer break, and I remember a lot of people uh, used to talk about it. Like oh, you got to see this movie at some point in time, and that was when I started to get into movies a lot more than before. And so I started to watch this movie, and it just. It, it all of it, came, you know, sort of came into perspective as to why so many people talked about it. And um, just just the direction on display, like Spielberg is an absolute genius with it. And just the way it's sort of, it's sort of built up to this eventual reveal of the shark, the tension it created, the, the character moments and all of that stuff. It just, it, I saw it one time that time. And um, for a long time after I didn't rewatch it because I just, I couldn't get it out of my head. It, like every moment was sort of stuck was just stuck with me so well and uh that's kind of why I, I think i wanted to come on the podcast because it's like really minute by minute you can talk about this movie and all of it is just it just works it's one of those lightning in a bottle movies you know and to talk about that and to talk about this particular scene that we're going to talk about today which is one of my favorites of the movie um mm. i'm super excited to bring that to the table my thoughts to the table <laughs> yeah definitely this is a, a very very popular scene uh this one as you can imagine so i think people are very happy that we have broken it down into the to the level of detail that we have um mm -hmm. it has made my job uh slightly harder on instagram sharing the little like preview pictures of the the bit that we're going to be talking about um trying to find like the exact face quint is pulling for like the minute or 50 seconds or minute and a half or whatever it is that we're talking about mm -hmm. uh has proven to be difficult but hopefully i have succeeded and this is my last one that i'll have to <laughs> that i'll have to do uh is is talking you about this, this. Scene. so uh almost 
Thank you, thank you. It's <laughs> almost over, and uh, the the rousing sing along will be what we uh, what we get to next. But before we get there, of course, we need to uh, to round off the Indianapolis month and talk about this final moment. So, if you are watching along with us, uh, the timestamp of this scene is from one hour thirty one minutes and thirty seconds ish uh, to one hour thirty three minutes and ten seconds. So, around a minute and forty this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, we start off with Brody sort of looking at Quint as he continues telling the story. And in this bit, he is talking about how he found a friend of his bitten in half below the waist. Uh, and then Hooper and Brody sort of share share a look between them. Quint continues, uh, talks about the rescue and uh, his experience and, and the fear that he felt and why that all means that he'll never put on a life jacket again. Um, it sort of ends with him... Uh, with a, a big old grin on his face as he raises his glass and says, uh, anyway, we delivered the bomb. And that's pretty much where we mm. leave it. Um, so there's a lot uh, to get into and talk about in, in this week's scene. So as our esteemed guest, we will hand it over to you first, uh, Shoria. So what is it that you noticed in this week's scene? So for me, um, I got to talk about a little bit about the scene uh, as a whole, if that's all right. Um, mm-hmm. So yep, for yeah. well, obviously referencing a true event, this this did happen. The part that um, that Quint is specifically talking about in this minute, um, I believe that part has that was like added on to the experience. But since um, I, I don't know, I think one of the things about the movie up until this point, I, I I remember thinking about Quint was that he seems to be someone who's you know, he's very much in it for the kill, but he doesn't really care about, you know, other people's thoughts or something like that. And he doesn't seem like someone I can sort of understand where he's coming from. And what I li- like about this scene, especially this last minute, is that as a, a like from a personal perspective, it created this really strange conflict. Because on one hand, I kept thinking, this is one of the men who delivered a bomb that was, you know, one of the most devastating events in in human history and and then on the other hand when he's telling this entire story i i was i felt sorry for what had happened uh with the the uss indianapolis Mm -hmm. and it was this crazy conflict like sort of like this morality that that it created and then of course when you're listening to the entire story you just feel worse and worse as he finds this half-eaten corpse there and then but the but then at the very end of it he's like anyway we delivered the bomb and I don't know. That's it. That was it for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually a really, really good point because it wasn't until sort of watching it in this uh, this bit in isolation and the other bits, you know, breaking up the speech into these sort of three or four weeks as we have done, that I've really thought about these these moments in more detail. And it was only when sort of watching the scene today that I thought about what you just mentioned there, which is... The, this mo- this moment simultaneously we are seeing the walls of Quint coming down we are mm-hmm. hearing him say I think for the first time that he was frightened there's no nothing implied nothing suggested he says I was frightened um mm-hmm. which is quite big <laughs> coming from this character where yeah. all we've seen is this you know bravado macho showing off Quint uh, that we've seen in in the rest of the film admitting to being frightened. So we really start to feel for Quint. And I think it was in last week's episode or maybe the week before where I was like, this is when we start to like 
Quint even more because if you mm-hmm. haven't liked Quint up to this point, fair enough because he can be a bit of a jerk and he's quite a lot to handle. Um, but this is the moment where we go, oh, I, you know, I really like this character and I really feel sorry for him because he's telling mm-hmm. this absolutely harrowing story of what happened. And yeah, <laughs> that final that final comment from him. I always thought it was strange that he smiles when he delivers that line, but it made me think today that it's so different from everything else that he's saying because it is meant to be that almost like slap around the face moment where you're like, oh yeah, it's it's. I'm glad that he survived. I'm glad that Quint is here now telling this story um, and you feel sorry for those who, who lost their lives and for those who, who didn't make it. But then, you know, he finish it, finishes it by saying you know anyway we delivered the bomb and it's just like it's just suddenly that like gut punch in the stomach when you think mm. about that and obviously it being <clears throat> rooted in these real events and he mentioned um hiroshima right at the start of uh the indianapolis speech it is just that moment of being like whoa okay yeah <laughs> even though this is just in a film that we're watching we know these are real events so it's it's putting us in a slightly tricky position of like yes we like quint because we've finally seen those walls come down and we finally see him be a bit more human and a bit more likable but also this was a bad thing that that happened and that's that's complicated and i i love that we get that about this character yeah i think that might only be something that we maybe are just starting to understand about this um Mm -hmm. for a few reasons um and I don't want to put words in mouth or read any read into anything that, you know, has not been said uh, because um, he oh, he has made a World War Two movie about the Japanese theater. Um, <laughs> so Spielberg being Jewish, I think, might have a lot a bit of a different perspective on World War Two than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is clearly very invested in the subject matter. Um and understandably so, um, particularly with what happened in the European theater. Um, and he's made several films about it. And he's also made, you know, he made Empire of the Sun, which mm-hmm. is about uh, the, the war, the specifically the war front in Japan. Um, but I feel like at least in 1975, on the cusp of the bicentennial in the midst of the Vietnam War, this was meant to be a celebration of them delivering the bomb. And the Mm -hmm. reason I think that is because in the midst of Vietnam, it was viewed as like the last time we went to war because Korea and Vietnam had happened since then. And both of those wars were met with kind of opposition. A lot of people really viewed as like world war two was the last time there was a true enemy to fight. Um, And so it, to to me, the way I read it as like the the, I don't really want to spend a lot of time on this conversation. The authorial intent is to directly contrast the heroism of these men delivering the bomb and like successfully accomplishing their mission. And so when he says, "Anyway, we delivered the bomb," he it almost to me reads as as Quint saying like, "We still got the job done that we needed mm-hmm. to get done." Um. There's this like, and and I think, <clears throat> I think this is maybe unfairly put specifically on British people during World War II. There's this idea of like, um, it, at least in America, and you know, you can tell me if you've experienced this, Sarah. But 
that there's like a there like British people don't feel emotions, um, mm-hmm. which is insane. Um, there, <laughs> but there's this idea like that I feel like that we have here that obviously we're starting to break down because of one successive generations and two the internet, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> that British people like there's this like stiff upper lipped like get the job done type yeah. of like Britishness uh, that that we like to portray, and I will say. A lot of the James Bond movies and Dunkirk really bring that home, and those are all British <laughs> films, <laughs> like mostly UK, UK productions. So, uh, like, I feel like in Dunkirk, you really see this, like, a- 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 Dunkirk, and what was the one that came out the same year where Gary Oldman played Chir- Churchill? Darkest Hour. Darkest Hour. Uh, like, there's there's this idea that that there was this just like we got to do it and push through and and soldier forth and. Uh, and all this. But the same thing happened to American soldiers, too. They weren't allowed to feel the PTSD. They just, like, they were just the heroes, and that's it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so I think, one, I think that that gets unfairly put on just the the, the way the, the Brits handled uh, World War II. But you can see it here, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. Quint's an American who... Anyway, we got our job done. Like, you know, it, it doesn't matter. We we sacrificed, but we sacrificed for the, the greater good, the the you know, the common goal we were all working toward got accomplished and the war ended because of us. You know, like I think I think the movie itself, specifically in the time period it came out, is something that sees this as something to be like commended. That said, uh I think I, I live in this weird space where I don't fully agree with death of the author. And I don't fully agree with like just reading the authorial intent. And that's the only way you're supposed to do it. So it works on both levels. Like I think the film is intended to celebrate it, but I think in 2021 with us talking about it here, we can look at it for the very complicated situation that it is. Uh, no, I was just gonna, I was gonna agree, especially on the part um, that was brought up there regarding, you know, it's like the, the mentality of, you know, you get it, getting the job done no matter what. Yeah, that's a that's actually kind of a universal concept. So, my um, before we got started, I was mentioning like you know my 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 parents, my my family was born in India. My my folks, um, I'm just talking about this from personal experience. Uh, they were in the forces. So so my granddads and and mm. you know their great granddads, they were they served in the the air force, the army. My dad himself was in the navy, and one of the things that my um, what they, they they always you know talked about whether whatever stories that they were telling about their time uh, this is all uh, post World War Two uh, they all had this conversation like sometimes there were situations where the going got really tough and it was like um, and and in in India there was like wars going on at the time like sixty five and seventy one there were wars with Pakistan and and then so it's like when that was happening there was these desperate situations but it's like in those things, you, in those moments, you know, you're thinking about your family, but it's like, you got to get this job done right now. And that might mean you might not see some of these people again, but that's the job. And I think that mentality definitely is, is something that is, has been there for, for, um, that stretches across. Um, yeah. So that point really, that point really, really hit. And it absolutely is in, in the U S like you see that even like, you know, the amount, the, the stature at which, the forces the the military is held up at it's like mm-hmm. you know there's like you never you never stop you gotta get you gotta do it mm. yeah that that mentality i think is something that 
explains a lot in what happens next with with Quint, and I won't sort of oh. get into that too much because you know that will be covered in future episodes. But we talked about him, you know, in the in the next couple of scenes. He hasn't got his cap on; he's got his bandana on, and he's almost like suited up and ready ready for war type of thing um ready to do, to do battle with the shark and there's been moments that we've seen previously as well like when he's strapping himself into the chair and it's quite a sort of process of 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 putting all that equipment on and getting ready to to battle with the shark that mentality of just like getting the job done at like whatever cost is absolutely something that we that we see with Quint in the next few scenes. And it kind of explains a lot, really. And I've only really just sat and connected the dots on this, you know, right now. <laughs> um, because <laughs> I've always thought, like, what Quint does is, you know, he's got a bit of a death wish or he acts quite selfishly when he's really, like, pushing the the, the boat, even though it is, you know, falling apart as they speak and taking on water. He is really just, you know so focused on on them you know, getting the shark and completing the the mission and delivering the bomb if you will uh to use the phrase that is in in this scene and i feel like i just understand that mentality a little bit more now and it's made me have a different perspective on that because yeah that is the particularly with a lot of people i guess in the in the military and i can't you know speak too much about the american experience but like what you are saying like makes sense that sort of idea of like you know getting getting the job done and just and having to and having to do that and being sort of driven by that emotion and that sense of duty makes sense as it's sort of something that you see in a lot Mm. of other films particularly sort of anything that's that's about war but yeah there's a lot of there's a lot to unpack in this in this scene and sort of thinking about it in different contexts as well like the context of the time and the context Mm -hmm. now and this is one of the reasons why i always say to people like jaws is timeless because it is very much a 1970s film set in that era with a lot of things that tie it to that era but as we have spoken about extensively all the stuff that we could relate to with the with the pandemic when we were talking about the stuff on Amity and mm. us now sort of like talking talking about this bit and you know now our generation sort of having like a very different idea of of war or a different perspective of war just because it is not something that we have necessarily experienced firsthand ourselves we may have relatives who have but it's not something that that we ourselves have been a part of. So this this film is always going to speak differently to every generation that watches it. And I just think that is one of the things that makes this film so great, amongst all the other reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing too is, is, and I don't know how much we've talked about this. I don't really remember. Um, it i don't know this experience is it's been done away with since but you still have to register for it this is also the generation that got drafted right Mm -hmm. but this Mm -hmm. is the generation that saw getting drafted as a good thing right that's that's the they saw it uh specifically the world war ii veterans um so they were forced into military service like whether they wanted to or not and when that happens there is definitely like a well okay i guess you know i get to borrow a quote from hamilton where it's like okay so we're doing this uh when they (laughs) when they do the duel where it's you know you just 
if you don't have a choice, then you don't have a choice and you got to do what you got to do to survive, basically. And that's that's what I see on Quint is like, hey, we did what we had to do. Um, and it, you know, it is, it, it, you know, it's sort of it, it is what it is type of, of tone to the way he ends the speech. Um, mm. And I, I think that that's really important in the context of one like I said, the bicentennial of the, the country coming up the very next year, 1976. Um, and, you know, there's there's also the Vietnam War is just drawing to a close right around this time. So we're finally starting to process that without being in it um, and starting to look at it with maybe a little bit of hindsight. Although while we were filming the movie, the war was still happening. Um so I think that is a layer to it as well that he, you know, more than likely didn't volunteer to go into the military at all. That's but yeah, that could be it. I mean, I think, um, yeah, no, there is definitely um, that's kind of why I um, you know, love this movement so much. And um, it really does uh, speak to the. I think in just the way he's delivering the story, there's this, there's this vulnerability to it. And, you know, it's like, he's talking about mm-hmm. it in a way where he's like, you know, I, I, as much as, you know, we got the job done, I'm just seconding the repeating the point here, rephrasing it, I guess. But like, I didn't want to be there. It's not like, because you can tell this has taken a toll on him. You can tell that this has been on his mind a while. You know, this is, this has been, something that's haunted him like i wouldn't be surprised if like while imagining the character uh spielberg wrote it in like you know there were sleepless nights where he would often think about that and and i'm sure there were and i think when you put that into perspective it's like you did this hardened shell that he's been uh you know like showcasing so far like you give me ten thousand dollars i'll take on the shark uh you know i got this you know in the bag but suddenly it's like yeah i'm sure he does but also he's not exactly like even you know like even the hardest things are the softest interior like isn't that the phrase hardest exterior Mm -hmm. yeah that's kind of how it is um you know with with him that's kind of why i i I, really uh love that scene love the scene so much even more as a result of it and Mm -hmm. especially when you consider what we're getting into next it's like Mm -hmm. this last moment you get with the the humanity of it there's one more part to it after this uh, which mm. is the next episode of it. <laughs> um, so uh spoilers so guys there's a singing um but um, <laughs> uh yeah that i think really that even brings it home even more so i think mm. yeah i the way i think that that quint particularly in this bit is very it's very, I mean, it's very graphic, but it's also like what you were saying there, um, mm. Shoria, like these things that would have like haunted him and been in his mm. nightmares. The way that he is able to sort of talk about, particularly this finding of of his friend, I think is something that like 
if Jaws was one of those films which included, you know, flashbacks or nightmare sequences or something, like yeah. some of the later Jaws films do, um, that would be something that, that we would see in sort of Quint's nightmares, you know, is him tossing and turn, turning and and thinking that he's he's found his buddy and a familiar face and then just this horror of like, you know, he doesn't realise he's dead to start with. He's sort of, you know, is like, oh, there's, you know, there's there's Herbie over there and like swims up to him and then he just like, he even says doesn't he i thought he was asleep um just being able to recall these sort of like really you know fine fine details particularly in this bit like this is clearly an experience that has has been with him all this time and sort of talking about this you know the person who he who he finds being bitten in half below the waist i mean you know we can get into the foreshadowing of that as well because that is that is what happens to to quint as well but yeah, uh, the... well, I'm a big dumb idiot. I don't <laughs> think about that at all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've been the one connecting the dots all this time of like all the foreshadowing that is in the Indianapolis speech, and there's a lot of it. But yeah, that bitten in half below the waist thing was one of the like clear things to me where I was like, oh yeah, that's <laughs> that's what happens to Quinn. Um, but didn't yeah, cross my the... mind whatsoever. <laughs> Cinematic foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There's, I mean, there's tons of it. I pointed out to Martin the other day when we watched the film that Quint's introduction, like when he scrapes his nails down the chalkboard, there's like a little guy in the jaws oh, of the shark, uh-huh. and I was, and I was just like, just like Quint, and Martin was like, whoa, <laughs> like mind oh, blown oh, um, at that small detail. But yeah, um, yeah, the 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 bit in this in this sort of part of the speech as well that just makes you know, you realise that this is something that has lived with Quint all this time is when he talks about the life jacket. And we get a payoff with that as well. Um, And he sort of says about the time that he was the most frightened was when he was waiting to be rescued. Um, And because of that, he'll he'll never put on a life jacket again. And I think it's, I can't remember the exact point, but it happens after this when the orca is going down and Quint sort of goes to the life jackets. He looks at them and he picks up two, one for Brody and one for Hooper, but he does not pick up one for himself so Mm. this this traumatic event you know being able to recall even sort of like the fine fine details of it and the fact that it is you know in many many different ways uh having this lasting effect on him is something that i just find you know incredibly fascinating to to dive into in this level of detail and the fact that you know this has made him not you know there's something about a life jacket you know maybe something about a life jacket is you know triggering for him like that because the last time he wore one was when he was waiting to be rescued and that was when he was at his most frightened i just think there's an incredible vulnerability in that and admitting that as well to these guys who he's not really known for you know a huge amount of time Mm. like they've gone through some stuff together for sure but he is is opening up i i think in a way he never has done before and you can sort of see that in his eyes and in the way that he is delivering this speech that this isn't something he talks about a whole lot and yeah just that i I love that payoff we get with the life jackets i just think that it's something that is that is Mm -hmm. really great about this film is that we do get these like small little payoffs and and the foreshadowing that we talked about as well like Mm -hmm. if you can pick up on these things Jaws is just an even more satisfying watch. You know, the 
50th 60th 70th time you've watched (laughs) you've watched it because you're picking up on all these these tiny tiny little details that that just show they you know they they do their research and they think about these things and they think about the 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 small details in the film as well there was this um another thing about that scene which i really i kept noticing was actually everybody else around him but with who who's listening to the conversation Mm -hmm. like you can even tell they're sort of like softening up a moment like you know it's it's not because it's it's a tense relationship between the three you know they they're not all entirely getting along and um as as the sto- uh you know it's like it's it's on a t- it's on like a wire basically it's on a very thin thin rope but then as they start um to listen to the story it's like you can sort of feel like even they're trying to um uh to, to you know they're, they're starting to sympathize a little bit with it it's like hey we're starting to understand this guy um you know as to why why he is the way he is right? and um mm. i don't know i just think it's a nice directional moment with the with the other actors that's all i wanted to point out mm-hmm. i haven't gotten flack for this but i'm sure it does make some people uncomfortable i'm pretty open about my trauma and i've shared a lot of it on this podcast because who needs therapy mm-hmm. when you have a podcast but um i think uh that's a joke go to therapy um <laughs> the, uh, is that what this is <laughs> 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 um but there is like the i mean you do have perfect recall for a lot of traumatic experiences that you have and i have one that's very serious and i have one that's like pretty funny and kind of gross so um one like i remember every detail of the last meal i ate before my best friend passed away um because i made it at his house like half an hour before he died um so i remember everything about that sandwich also it's one of the best sandwiches i've ever had um two uh on the flip side of that I absolutely understand the, uh, and this has nothing to do with the most scared I've ever been at Mm -hmm. all, but, uh, the, the life jacket thing, I totally understand because I don't know if you guys have this experience, but there's certain foods I won't eat anymore because I've, for whatever reason, whether it was food poisoning or a stomach bug, I've thrown them up. And, like, my brain just remembers what that was like and can't, Mm -hmm. like, if I do eat that thing again, I will get nauseous like I did the first time when I threw it up. Even if it was, Mm -hmm. like, even if I'm not sick, even if I don't have food poisoning, like, whatever led to that, my brain just, like, blocked that off from me being able to enjoy that food product again. So I totally understand the life jacket thing where if, you know, because if something as small as, oh, I overate or like I ate something kind of weird and it didn't sit right. And then later on it came back up. We're never going to eat that again. That's pretty minor compared to what Quint has gone through. So I totally understand how, if you go through something as intense as what Quint went through, uh, why you would be averse to certain things. I get, I mean, I, I guess I could speak from, from uh, recent trauma, I suppose. Um, well, uh, I've talked about this gun um, publicly, but um, unfortunately in May, I um, I lost my granddad to COVID, and mm. um, it was a it was a very devastating blow. And um, I remember the the thing that I was it's not the it's not food, but it's like and it's nowhere near as bad 
this point. Um, but it was like um, I was playing this game. As uh, it was a new game. It's called uh, Resident Evil Village, um, mm-hmm. and I loved the game a lot. And I remember I got done with it. At I, I was awake all night. We had just admitted him to the hospital, and uh, we were like, okay, let's just try to you know do something to get our mind off of it. And um, if you've played the game, it has us not exactly got the happiest of endings for um, our, our main character. Um, and I remember it got done. The game gets over and I think, okay, I'll get some sleep now. And then 10 minutes later, we got a call from the hospital saying that he was, he was gone. Um, yeah. I, I, and I, and now every time I, I, I try to bring that up in conversation, like someone brings up that, like that game, I just like, I keep thinking about like the fact that we got the call later. So I can't even go back mm-hmm. to the game now, mm-hmm. even though I have it. And I'm like, I want to play it again, but I know, like, I don't think I can, at least not for now. Cause I keep thinking about the fact that I, as soon as it was over, so was my granddad. Mm. Um. Yeah, I think that, I mean, this this film has, I mean, this is something that I feel like I could write an essay on if someone ever gave me this opportunity, but mm. the way that these three different characters address traumas or on paper sort of like traumatic events that that have happened in their past. So Hooper kind of has the, the, the least on this, but... You know, he had uh, an incident with a shark when he was younger, but the way that he overcame that, that, you know, what probably was quite traumatic was like really throwing himself into research and learning more about this mm-hmm. thing that had tried, mm-hmm. you know, to, to eat his boat. Um, so that's that's one way of dealing with it. And Brody, we know, we don't know exactly what, what happened to him, but Brody had something traumatic happen on the water when he was when he was younger. And the whole film is him basically in in some kind of roundabout way addressing and overcoming that that fear and that trauma that happened and it, it happens in in little baby steps but it goes from him not even wanting to be like toe deep in the water when the shark attacks alex to right at the end of the film being you know pretty much like half submerged in in the water with a gun ready to take down the shark so and, and then being confident enough to kind of like paddle back to, sh- to shore afterwards as well and crack a joke whilst he's doing it. Um, but Quince is is very different. And this is something that we have spoken about on on previous episodes where we've we've talked about Quint is addressing his trauma in a way that maybe isn't that healthy uh, because he is sort of motivated by by revenge uh and wanting mm-hmm. to sort of like get revenge on the thing that that killed all of all of his buddies and and the traumatic thing that happened to him was obviously what happened on the Indianapolis and the way that he has channeled that is yes into making a, a successful career out of it but also this sense that he is never going to be satisfied like how many sharks is enough sharks you know he's got Mm. all those jaws uh, of sharks hanging on his walls and when is it ever going to be enough and i think that's something we mentioned on a previous episode where i had said like you know we we get the numbers crunched in in this scene a little bit more as well like maybe (laughs) in like a weird way quint sort of like had this in the back of his mind like i have to kill as many sharks as people were lost on the indianapolis um and that idea is just something that has has really really stuck with me and this idea of these three characters 
all of which are connected to water uh, is is sort of like the the connection uh, between mm-hmm. their sort of like tra- traumatic events uh, that have happened to them in the past is all addressing them in such different ways uh, and and with varying success. But yeah, I that's probably something I could spend about four hours talking about on its own so i'll i'll leave it at that in case you guys have got some <laughs> some thoughts on that but we've we've joked previously you know was it you say mj like uh men will like really go to to hunt a great white shark instead of go to therapy like yep. that is basically uh jaws in a in a nutshell <laughs> i feel um i have like uh a similar thing like what you were saying about the the food thing mj um Mm -hmm. i have that with well i had that with sort of certain alcoholic drinks um i now Mm. don't drink at all um i never i didn't have like a a drinking problem or anything that rock and roll but i wasn't (laughs) rock and roll i wasn't that the most sensible person (laughs) with (laughs) wasn't the most sensible person with alcohol and probably like drank more than i should have done on quite a few occasions so i would have that as well like if i had been drinking a particular thing and i had then been Mm. like really really sick and unwell the next day even just like the smell of it would make me think like nope cannot do that Mm. so I that what you were saying there particularly uh resonated with me and then that obviously happened with enough drinks that there was like no drinks left and I was like well I don't want to drink anymore and I'm now like uh let me work it out 10 yeah 10 years this year 10 years since I Mm. um no 10 years next year sorry let's not celebrate my anniversary yet um nine years uh, since I last drank alcohol but yeah that was this is really turning into (laughs) the therapy podcast isn't it I know right like wow particularly relevant to this yeah it's it's, I I feel like it's it's apt um yeah (laughs) we're not just like hey here's a jazz podcast also here's all our drama Um, yeah but and it's funny because I I have been thinking about this a lot because we uh I'm going to talk about Taylor Swift, which is not a topic I talk about at all because I don't listen to her music because I don't particularly enjoy it. But um, the this internet episode is, is going to get right hate now, now with... you know that, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, weirdly enough, I've seen her live, which uh, is weird. I saw her. I saw her live before she she was opening for someone. Um, so that's how long ago I saw her live. But wow. not the point. Uh, she. Just released Red Taylor's version, and people are the internet is a place specifically about the song All Too Well, which is about uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Although Miles Teller is in her new video, which I feel like Jake Gyllenhaal is very grateful for because people are talking about that more than they are him right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think there was a, a a period of time near the beginning of her career where she was kind of branded as like the teenage breakup girl as far as her songs are concerned. And I think, you know, there is, there, there can be a, a, a point where you oversaturate that market, you know, like um, mm. uh, if, if there's any like sad British pop singing with strings in the background, I just call it Adele, whether it's Adele or Sam Smith. <laughs> um, and, uh because all all of that kind of sounds the same to me but i was thinking about it with you know and and her re-releasing uh these albums because this is the second or third one she's done where it's like taylor's version because she's gotten all the rights back to her songs and can release them maybe the way she's intended uh my hot take is that she's just weaponizing millennial nostalgia and uh 
you know, selling us the same thing a second time. But hey, go for it. You know, if you figured out something that works, I'm not going to knock it. But uh, uh, if I would anyway, I was thinking about this because she premiered she premiered the short film for All Too Well Friday night in New York. And I was like, oh, she's angling for an Oscar like that's she gave it like an Oscar qualifying short film uh release right mm-hmm. uh and i was like you know there is the 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 sort of meme of like oh you're the breakup girl or whatever but the, you know breakups are hard um you know i don't want to speak for everyone on the podcast how many breakups we've been through but i've been through uh, several and they've never been easy no matter what like whether i was a teenager or not and so i was i was thinking about it and i i didn't tweet this but i i wanted to where it was just like taylor swift is processing her grief and trauma by like creating art and like trying to like one relate it to other people and also like angling for Oscars. And for me, I can't drink caffeine anymore. And if I get a little too full, I'm convinced I'm having a heart attack. Like there, there's just like two completely different ways of approaching that process. Um, and you see that I think with these three here, because Brody's struggle is really kind of silent. Like even in the moment where he could speak up, he doesn't. And Mm -hmm. he never does. Like we never find out what his actual trauma with the water is, but that's okay too, because he processes it. Like he still goes through the, the, he still puts in the work to get to the other side of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's important too. Cause like, Quint obviously opens up about it and it's really hard for him. And it's obvious in the scene and Brody doesn't. And he goes through that struggle privately, but he still has the support of the other two on the boat. And I think that's the ultimate point. If we're going to do the mental health reading of it is Mm -hmm. you can go through it as privately as you want. You can go through it as publicly as you want. There's not a right way or wrong way necessarily to do it as long as you put in the work and like, yeah, maybe the outcome of Quint's is a little more unhealthy because of the revenge he's driven by. Um, but you know, there, there, that still goes a long way. Him even talking about it because who knows how many people he's told this people, this story to, I bet you can count them on one hand, uh, Mm -hmm. including Hooper and Brody. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's important. I also have two questions or no, no, I have one statement and one question. One, um, do you guys notice that, uh, Spielberg actually, repeats the 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 story of the what's his name what's the friend's name the uh herbie robinson herbie robinson he Hmm. does that visually in saving private ryan oh Um, oh yeah (laughs) but it's not it's not it's not with someone blown in half it's with the guy has his face blown off so there's the Uh... a moment where I think it's Tom Hanks is talking. He's trying to get the attention. It's it's during the D-Day scene. He's trying to get the attention of the comms guy who has the like the big like radio phone or whatever. And he's trying to get his attention to tell him something. And he's like yelling at him and yelling at him. And he turns his body over and his face is gone. And I was like Mm -hmm. watching this today. I was like, that's that's beat for beat. What Quint says, it's just done visually and with like a different, you know, part of the body. But it's it was exactly it plays out exactly how Quint says it. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I guess I have two more things after that. So the other thing, <laughs> Sarah, you mentioned it's graphic. Mm-hmm. And it is. And I think it's really interesting how this story 
gets more and more graphic. Um, it builds, it's really well structured because it starts off of like, we delivered the bomb. We like, it starts off very matter of fact and then mm-hmm. gets more granular. The more Quint opens up about it and remembers all this stuff. He has this perfect recall um, mm-hmm. about that situation. And like, like I said, this is probably stuff he's told maybe one other person, if that. Uh, mm-hmm. And so to like, you know, I think we've all been where like, we start talk- talking about one thing that's kind of bothering us and then just boom, floodgates. It's just like, here's everything about this situation. Oh, <laughs> and uh, the pe- the people around you can be like, um, oh, okay. So this is what we're doing now. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how Hooper and Brody react where it's like, oh, this got really serious because before we were mm. like trading fun stories about scars we've gotten over our lives. But like, this is like, serious serious business now and then the last thing i have is where in the hell is quint finding all these sharks in amity (laughs) good question i think zero out of ten zero out of ten i genuinely Um, i genuinely believe maybe he travels around and yeah probably yeah no i was gonna exactly say that i feel like he genuinely goes out of his way to look like it just seems like mm-hmm. that. It feels yeah. like you do that. <laughs> yeah, that feels very quint to me. Quintessential, mm. if you will. Boo. Sure. <laughs> Somehow the delayed reaction made that even funnier to me. <laughs> <laughs> Is it too late to get off? Silence. <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> <laughs> oh no if you don't like puns you're on the wrong podcast man. <laughs> why am I, can i just say i mean if anything this what i really love is that how long have we been talking almost an hour and i it just that is that's what i kind of love about it it's like you know when i, I remember saying earlier like, it's like every minute of this is just like lightning in a bottle Really, I mean, mm-hmm. it's amazing how this, we're, we're only talking about 100 seconds of a two-hour and four-minute movie, and it's like, it's, it's remarkable how, how much is just packed into this. Like, they really, they really did a magnificent job with this shark movie. It's kind of amazing what um, mm-hmm. they pulled off, you know, just all these nuances and, and, and beats that are, that are in it. I, I, think it's remar- I think it's amazing. I never voiced this, but I was low-key a little bit worried about how we would get a full episode's worth out of uh, breaking down the Indianapolis into into like three or four chunks. I was like, we're going to overlap, you know, there'll probably be short episodes, there won't be that much. Not that there won't be that much to talk about, because I think there is a lot to talk about, and each section is is different, and not to toot my own horn but the the way that i've broken it down i think has has been the right way because there's been different things and different aspects to to discuss each time and this has been a a far more sort of like involved <laughs> conversation than i mm-hmm. than i thought it might be but yeah i the fact that we get you know uh an an hour plus uh, out of a, a minute or so each week is just it kind of blows my mind every time but i think particularly with this i was just like oh should we just do the indianapolis in like one episode and then like if it runs to like two hours or something fair enough but i'm really really pleased that we've been able to go 
into it in this level of detail because I think that it it needs that. Um, yeah, I've I've got some like insane theory stuff that I can that I can get to um, in a minute, but I'll I'll let you set your point, MJ. <laughs> Oh, um, I was going to say, I, 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 uh, 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 what was I going to say? Oh, Sharia, to your point at the, um, at the, uh, the, the beginning at the Jaws question, um, yeah. I wanted to talk about this, but you know, you mentioned that your first experience with the film was in high school and you watched it mm. and kind of like, you retained almost the entire thing. Um, mm. I love when that happens with a piece of media because it shows how much it affects you. Uh, and I think that this is the perfect episode as to see, to illustrate why it would do that. Um, so one of the things that, and I didn't even know this happened until I watched the TV show because I've only mm. read the comic one time, but Watchmen is something that when I watched the TV show with my friends and they were like, what, why, you know, why this or whatever. And they had all read the comic, I think, except for one. I was yeah. like, oh, it's because of this and this and this and this event in the comic. And like, I had it all at the top of my head. Like I had read it yesterday and I was like, oh, I didn't, I knew I liked that comic. I didn't realize I loved that comic Absolutely. Um, because I've never had to like bring that knowledge to the forefront of my brain. Uh, uh, until then and then the same thing happened to me with john wick chapter two where like i loved that movie and i don't know if i've talked about this on the podcast but i am nerdy about the john wick franchise the way people are nerdy about star wars so mm -hmm. uh john wick chapter two i saw one time in the theater and then saw it the second time the week the third one came out and i remembered beat for beat that entire film and mm -hmm. I loved it. I had a great time watching it a second time, even though I remembered every scene because I was like, oh, this part's coming up. Oh, this part's coming up. Oh, this part's coming up. And I love it. So um, I think Jaws is that for a lot, a lot, a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. I, and, you know, there's obviously like Star the, the big franchises, right? Like the Star Wars and the Avengers and stuff like that, mm -hmm. um, that, that I'm sure people have that. But Jaws is like... Jaws is one of those ones that, uh, and I think we might talk about this maybe next week with Blake, who has a chip on his shoulder about blockbusters. But uh, <laughs> I, I think Jaws is one that like, and I, I, I want to choose my words carefully here because I like a lot of the Star Wars and I like a lot of the MCU output. So I am one of you, but it, it makes you feel like kind of adult if you like it, you know, like if you mm -hmm. feel like it's 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 a blockbuster that has something on its mind and it's it's but it's so easy to grasp and it's so entertaining at the same time that it like it makes you feel like really like a like you like you're like I'm a cinephile if you if you really really <laughs> vibe with Jaws and um, I think there are not a lot of these like blockbustery type movies that really can do both like to walk that line of like being supremely entertaining watch it every 4th of July, watch it outside and like just be like completely entertained with the spectacle of it. And also, you know, hey, maybe this will get you to open up about your trauma to either your support uh, system or, you know, an entire audience listening to a podcast or your ther therapist, you know, like it can do <laughs> both of those things equally well. I was just uh, I was trying to think if there's any other movie which i can think of in my life it just had that sort of thing where it's like you see it the one time and you just remember it the whole way through the only one i can think of um this is very artsy uh like if i say it then 
and all the cinephiles will probably love me for this. But um, I think it was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, mm-hmm. um, which I've only seen one time. I saw it in the theater, and I that was what two years ago. And I can mm-hmm. tell you, scene or scene, what happens in it? I haven't seen it again mm-hmm. because I just, I just, it's not just like the fact that I can. I feel like I'm not going to be able to capture that feeling again of watching it the first time because it was just this, it just took me by surprise, like this entire thing. But it's just, it stays with you for so long. I, I remember I saw it with a friend of mine and then for like a couple of weeks, that's all we talked about. We mm-hmm. just couldn't stop talking about it. And finally we stopped talking about it because I think Star Wars uh, Rise of Skywalker came out and then we went to talk. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was... Mm. that's it and that stays to this day i my my like i know my folks like my mom saw it and she was watching it next to me a while ago and she was like hey do you want to watch i said i i can't i don't have to i can tell you what's gonna happen (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah she loved it by the way yeah that is that is a great film and and a really good example of that and i think that I think this was an off-mic conversation last week, MJ, but both me, you, and Martin all realised that we had that experience with Silence. Um, oh, mm-hmm. Silence. Yeah. Where I think we, I also we haven't all seen that only again. seen... Yeah, we've, we've all only seen that, that once because it's quite a hard film to be like, I'm super in the mood to watch Silence. Um, I think mm. Martin had seen it twice, but that's because the first time we saw it was like in the middle of a... a triple bill at the cinema and that's that's not a in the middle kind of kind of film you need time to digest that film so i think he saw it a second time but yeah i have i have only seen that film the sum total of one time and i own it and i would really like to watch it again at some point i think it's a film that i will come back to maybe in a few years time when i'm just feeling in the right place for it but i can tell you know specific moments and specific things in that film having only seen it once and yet there's there's some films that i you know watched recently or something and the second i come out of the cinema i could not tell you a single thing that happened in it because it just kind of happens and and washes over you but that's you know sometimes it's there'll be films that it doesn't they don't necessarily have to be like good films or artsy films or any you know specific formula in the films that just makes them that memorable but sometimes a film will just like etch itself like into your into your brain to the point where you can just recall like very very specific details and and you have only seen it once and i i for a long time had i i say for a long time i watched jaws i think for the first time when it was released on blu-ray and i think we watched it around the same time mj without having any awareness of each other (laughs) each other's existence (laughs) at that point in time um but it was then like a year or so or maybe it's like six months after that that my like jaws obsession like really began where i would watch it like every week but i i went about six months of like having seen it just the one time and would just think about it all the time and just think about specific moments in it and it's kind of wild to think about now because i have seen jaws more than any other film in existence um and you know (laughs) doing this podcast as well I am incredibly familiar (laughs) with the film as you can imagine but yeah it's the the sticking power of a film sometimes to 
to have that impression on on you after one watch i think is something that's that's really really interesting to to talk about and there was something you were saying mj as well about you know jaws being this film that that is the blockbuster and can be sort of watched in that way but can also be dissected in this way like minute by minute and i was just thinking like yeah get get you a film that can do both and that yeah i was was trying not to say that (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm sorry It's fine. I figured you would say it. That's why I didn't say it. Wait. <laughs> um, Pig from this year. I know I, I keep talking about it, but mm-hmm. y'all motherfuckers need a to watch Pig. Movie. Uh, Beautiful Another movie. film that I... I uh, it's mm-hmm. so good. It's a movie that I saw, and I, I don't think I... I don't think I've stopped thinking about it yet. I think about that movie every day, and I saw it when it came mm-hmm. out in July. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't want to cry again. I will. <laughs> Thinking oh, about yeah. that pig. <laughs> yeah, I think. Also, the, um, if you I... want bonus points, do a pig, a pig and ratatouille uh, double bill. Oh, oh my! The fiends. Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> That's a yikes! Um, <laughs> oh my god! I yeah, I, I would say pig was that movie for me for a while, and then I saw Titan, the Julie de Grenoble mm. movie. And now that's been on my mind for weeks. So, uh, yeah, that's the new resident. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that. Uh, by the way, great movie. If no one's seen it yet, but yeah, it's a it's a hard sell of sorts. Yeah, sure. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was one where I was like, mm, I'll probably watch that at home. <laughs> yeah, I had to see it at home. I saw it, I rented it, and then, uh, but then I, I think it's, like, the experience isn't lost. Like, I, I will say yeah. that. Like, you watch it. Yeah. I watched it in a, un, like, I didn't plan on this, but I, I started watching it, and by the time I was, like, about 20 minutes in, it was, like, dark outside and inside mm. the house. So I just ended up watching the whole thing in this dark room, and I'm like, this is a huge mistake. <laughs> this, is like, <laughs> this is messing me up. Um, yeah. But, I, I think that that can uh, that can really affect you, and I'll bring this back to Jaws. Actually, I uh, so Suspiria, the Dario Argento version, is a film I haven't seen, though I've seen the the remake. And um, I had a I had a friend get mad at me until he found out what happened. So he he found out he was like, didn't you do a podcast episode on Suspiria with, and you didn't watch the original. And he knows that I try to watch like the original of whatever, um, before I watch it. So like, I gotta, I gotta watch West side story before the new one comes out. Cause I haven't seen it. But anyway, uh, I, so I, it wasn't that I straight up hadn't seen Suspiria. It was that I started watching Suspiria at like one o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. And I was like, this sucks. And it wasn't because the movie was bad. It was because I could see the sun. Like, I was just like, this is not a movie you watch during the daytime. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it just, it felt like, it felt so much like a movie that I needed to watch in the dark. Even like uh, a recent experience I've had with that is with a video game. I started playing Metroid Dread and mm. I almost never play video games in the dark, but I was like, I feel like I need to play this in the dark because it feels like Alien, the video game. And mm. so I, the first two hours that I played it, I played it at like midnight in the dark and I had an awesome time with it. And <laughs> uh, so, 
ever I've tried to like play it later at night in the in the, in a dark room. But Jaws, I kind of like watching Jaws in the middle of the day. Like it's so sunny. Like the movie itself is so sunny, with the exception of like really this scene. Um, mm-hmm. It just feels like a, it feels it's 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 this weird horror movie you can watch in the middle of the day and it enhances the experience. Mm-hmm. It's that in Midsummer. End of list. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just about to mention Midsummer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, that was an interesting experience for me. Actually, that movie. Now that I think about it, Midsummer. Um, yeah, all I remember is that um, I, the night before, I'd seen Far- Spider-Man: Far From Home, and um, I believe <laughs> the first show for midsummer was like nine o'clock in the morning at amc empire the it's in Times square the theater and um i got on the train i barely woken up from far from home and i'm and i went there sleep deprived not even had a cup of coffee and about an hour in when the the cliff scene happens in in midsummer and they those um the jumps happen it's like okay, that's a there's a wake up call for you. Um, like, <laughs> yeah. Good, good morning. <laughs> so, um, oh god. Um, so yeah, yeah, I was just sleep deprived. My eyes were like bugging out, and I'm like, okay, um, <laughs> this is the worst way to watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I had a very very similar experience with. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll get back to our final thoughts on Jaws in a second, but I I had a very similar experience with the lighthouse, which I saw at a. Oh man! It was the the first press screening of the day at London Film Festival. It was like eight o'clock in the morning but because i was also working for bfi during that time i was like i'll go into the office like super early do like an hour's work pop to the press screening go back carry on my day so it meant that i had been up since like maybe like 5 five thirty in the morning i had like driven into central london had done like a bit of work and was incredibly like sleep deprived i was on my like second or third coffee and then just watched this like insane film um and part of me was like it is eight o'clock in the morning and i'm eating like a pastry like a breakfast pastry (laughs) whilst i'm watching this film but also i feel insane right now so it was almost like the perfect uh set of circumstances to watch that film because there's moments in that film that are just bananas so it 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 helped in a very weird uh sort of way (laughs) with my experience of watching that film but yeah it's it's funny how sometimes like the the mood needs to needs to be right for a certain film which is why i I mean i always kind of reach for jaws like i mean every day of my life but um Mm -hmm. in the summer i'm just like i should be watching jaws right now when it's like hot Mm -hmm. outside and like the Mm -hmm. weather is nice you're like i gotta watch jaws because it is you know, a, a summer film. It's set in the in the summertime, and there are very few mm. moments of of darkness. You have like the the attack on Chrissy at the beginning when the fishermen go out. Um, that great scene of like the light fading behind Quint, and and then this bit, and that's that's pretty much it for like the Ben Gardner, the, the Ben Gardner boat. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You must be getting one. Um, yeah, and and they are sort of you know moments of of real horror as well as well in the film. So mm. like bad things happen when it's dark but yeah it's it's still a film i think that benefits from from watching it in the day and because i'm not a person who enjoys uh the spooky films that much i will usually insist that like we watch it 
like really early during the day so i'm that crazy person who's like i don't want to watch this like spooky film at night when it's dark so i watched um us the um jordan peele film yeah i watched that at like mm. 10 o'clock in the morning martin comes in like what are you doing <laughs> i don't understand what's <laughs> happening right now uh because i get scared when it's when it's dark and i'm watching a scary film so i'm like let me just let me have this in the morning. Let me have a bit of time to recover and then, you know, go about the rest of my day. But yeah, <laughs> interesting mm-hmm. that uh, how uh, how an experience or sort of like, you know, the, the weather or the circumstances can really affect your your viewing of a film. Um, Probably, yeah. I, I have a couple of things left in, in this scene. One is a bit out there, so... Uh, bear with me um but we've spoken (laughs) quite a bit in in previous weeks of sort of like making comparisons with quint being this sort of uh jesus like figure if you will we've still got more of that to come because of the, the the pose i guess that he is in when he is taken by the shark and we've spoken a bit last week about the this squares formation that he talked about and how there's a sort of sacrificial element to that. Um, So I appreciate this is absolutely me reading too much into these things, but I've always thought it strange the way Quint kind of like knocks on the table in in this Mm -hmm. scene. Um, Like he's creating his own, own soundtrack or percussion for the scene. Um, and I was like, oh, he he knocks three times. And then I was like, that seems like a, a uh, significant number. And it is. So without getting into this too much, um, I think other than the number seven, three is the number that like appears most in the Bible. And it's a very like, it's one of the sort of symbolically important numbers. Um, so that mm. is a bit of a reach. I don't think it's intentional in any way, shape or form, but it is just adding mm. more points, more bullet points to my essay that I will maybe write at some point in the future um, <laughs> about <laughs> the parallels between Quint and Jesus. So you're welcome. That's my uh, Sarah's insane theory of the week. <laughs> I have one too. Um, so I was thinking about, I was thinking about, uh, there's a famous moment of okay ready for this uh <laughs> in the christ story it's the widely accepted version of the christ story is that um you know he's born and um what up, really for the most part don't know a don't don't know a ton of stuff from like we know the birth story and then there's like maybe one or two mentions of him as a child we don't really know probably had a pretty normal you know, Jewish upbringing, uh, became a carpenter, learned the family trade, etc. The, the Jesus part of it all starts, right? And so, uh, the, the, the way that they say it it starts, and this is, you know, in the, the, the four gospels is he goes to, um, this guy, John, John the Baptist, if you're familiar with John the Baptist, um who was he was he was he was preparing the way is how it's worded in the bible and so he prepares the way for jesus by kind of saying like hey there's this guy coming who's going to be the the messiah which like there's messianic prophecies in the testament which you know the the ancient jewish peoples would have had those texts at the time Mm -hmm. and he goes jesus goes to uh john the baptist to get baptized and Mm -hmm. john the baptist baptizes him the spirit of the lord the holy spirit says you know it says like the skies open up and basically like the spirit shines on jesus and that's like kind of the beginning 
of the Jesus as an adult, like those three years of him, like doing miracles, going around, preaching, and his eventual death, right? Mm. So Quint has that on the Indianapolis because he gets dunked in the water with these sharks. And that's his baptism to sort of become this Christ-like figure who challenges, like the other thing too that, you know, uh, depending on, I guess, who's reading the the, the specific stories is that um, Jesus challenged the government a lot. Granted, Quint isn't necessarily challenging the government here, but he's challenging those in power. And in Quint's life, those in power are the sharks. Um, so I, I was kind of thinking about that uh, today when I was, I was, uh, you know, finishing the speech of like, oh, this is sort of like Jesus, you know, Quince getting baptized by John the Baptist, except he was forced into it. And it was, oh, there was a lot more sharks. Um, there, there were sharks, not doves. Um, and there was no spiritual experience to be had there, right? Like he doesn't like have this supernatural thing that he talks about. But, you know, the analogy is going to break down somewhere because it's obviously not a perfect like Christ allegory, the way something like... Um, the matrix is Mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. so yeah anyway i was thinking about that about that kind of being his baptism uh because of getting some Mm. submerged in water Mm. i don't have a theory i'm just listening (laughs) (laughs) that's fine you also haven't been breaking this film down for a minute but for over a year so (laughs) that's fair (laughs) <laughs> yeah we we occasionally sound like crazy people like i fully i fully accept that like sometimes i listen back to our episodes and i'm like well we were really uh <laughs> we were really reaching for it there but when you obviously you know the there's the things you can pick out just from you know watching watching this scene and sort of coming on on an episode which is why we like having having guests on as well because it's you offer us uh you know any of the guests really we have on like offer up a a fresh perspective and things that we haven't spoken about and different experiences and and things that all like adds to to our conversation but yeah there's i feel like some of the things like particularly the things that feel like a real reach like this thing that me and mj are kind of just rolling with until we get to quint's death i feel Mm. like i never would have landed on this point in a million years if i hadn't have been doing this podcast which is great (laughs) i guess because it has it has given me something different to you know to sort of like chew on if you will with with this film just sort of like picking out these these things in just the insane amount of detail that that we are that we are doing here but yeah it's kind of fun to (laughs) to to pick out these things and yeah i I don't know how far well i know that this analogy will end eventually because he yeah. dies uh but guess he, what it's he how... he doesn't he doesn't come back no he does he does not uh he does well, not rise again you know, wait for um... jaws five or something <laughs> yeah yeah sure <laughs> jaws five the rise the shark the, the, the shark came back the shark came back wasn't wasn't that the fourth <laughs> movie's plot or something like that's the shark trying to get revenge yeah the sharks <laughs> Yeah, um. there's some vo- there's some voodoo stuff. I don't think it's ever it's ever implied or said that it's the same shark. I think they try and go with the whole like this is a descendant of the jaws 
the Bruce, ah. if you will. Um, and like has a personal vendetta against the Brody family because voodoo or something. I don't know. I... <laughs> Generational trauma in the Jaws family. Yeah, honestly, it's that basically is... it's basically hereditary with sharks. Yeah. Oh, love. I watched that. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, hereditary with sharks is such a wild. I don't. I haven't seen Hereditary because I think it would uh, traumatize me forever. But I do know right. that particular shot with someone that's like on a ceiling. So I am now in my head replacing <laughs> that with a shark. Uh, <laughs> I just picture the, the only talking shark that comes to mind is. Are you guys familiar with the old Hanna Barbera cartoon Jabberjaw? No. Um, <laughs> okay, so Jabberjaw was a talking shark. Uh, Jabberjaw. Let's see. Was it? I was did... Maybe not. I thought you were going to say baby shark. There and is... I was like, oh. <laughs> there, there are only 16 episodes of Jabberjaw, and I must have seen all of them twice. Anyway, he's the drummer for this band called the Neptunes. Um, and uh, he, man, I, Jabberjaw had an outsized influence in my life based on how many episodes I just learned there were. Uh <laughs> Anyway, I pictured that shark giving the speech from, like, the I am your mother speech from Hereditary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, give that shark the Oscar that Tony Collette deserved. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, uh, oh, the person who has, like, put Miss, uh, Mr. Blobby into the, the nun or the conjuring or whatever, that same person, <laughs> I would like to replace Tony Collette, please. <laughs> no, I was just replace thinking Tony in my head. With Jabberjaw. <laughs> no, I was just thinking, like, when she just referenced the ceiling shot in Hereditary, that's a really creepy moment of the film. Now, every time I rewatch Hereditary, I'm just going to see a shark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, man. Um, Look, uh, <laughs> I'm very sorry, but what we do on this podcast is both enhance and ruin uh, certain films <laughs> for everyone. So. And that's such a creepy yeah, shot, up, too. It's we like... build up Jaws in everyone's mind, but the cost is that we ruin every other film. <laughs> I'm happy with our choice. That's fair. Oh, that's fair, that's fair, that's fair. Um, I don't know. I just I just think about it because, like, oh, God. Um, <laughs> it's such a creepy shot, too. It's like what's happening exactly <laughs> on the ceiling. Just like... Oh crap! Um, <laughs> oh, this is fun. Um, <laughs> thanks for inviting me on here, guys. I'm saying that in advance. <laughs> I mean, Anytime. if nothing else, this is the most laughs I've had in a while. So you know, this is good, right? Hey, that is what we are here for. Um, uh, <laughs> to I think that there's. I mean, I've got a couple more things on on this scene. I, I realize we've. We, we've said a lot, um, so maybe won't spend too much time on this, but uh, in the latest thrilling installment of Toothwatch, um, we can oh, see yeah. that Quint's tooth is still missing uh, at the at the end of the scene. Um, 
interesting because like the whole time he's telling the story and we mentioned this last week as well he's talking like out of the side of his mouth and you don't sort of he doesn't give like a full toothy grin until right at the end when he says you know anyway we delivered the bomb and then he gives this like big wide smile and we see that the tooth is still missing so i would like to think that the tooth there is no continuity errors uh we take it back uh that the tooth remains missing for the for the whole indianapolis speech because there is nothing mm. to uh either confirm or uh or dispute that in in the bit that we talked about in the middle so uh this this concludes uh tooth watch i believe uh yep. <laughs> we can we can right. close the book on that one um but <laughs> we i have dis- <laughs> we have dispelled the yeah. cloud in the shape of a killer tooth that has yeah. hung over the podcast for the last handful of episodes yeah good job good job everyone we did it um closure like (laughs) (laughs) that's journalism baby (laughs) i i i had like a a a semi-sensible point around the around the tooth that um obviously like we see him taking out the (laughs) it feels silly to say this now but like we see him take like taking out the the tooth when he's like talking about the uh, he got it like knocked out in a bar fight or something, didn't he? And um, Marco Nolan's, yeah. Marco Nolan's, yeah. I think I think I mentioned then that you know he takes out the tooth before he then sort of delivers the speech, the which is like you so know, it's... yeah, that you're seeing like the real me kind of thing. Like you thought this tooth was real, but mm-hmm. here let me take mm-hmm. it out. It's a it's a fake tooth. Mm-hmm. As he sort of like reveals his truth, if you will, um, and then for a lot of the Indianapolis speech, we don't see. Uh, whether the tooth is missing or not, which is the whole thing that we've we've been talking about. Um, but now that the, the 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 story he has told has come to an end, um, we see the the fact that the tooth is is still missing is this you know he is like completed the arc almost like he he has started mm. the the story by being like you know I'm gonna give you the truth now. Uh, and we know that it that it is is the truth, or that he is revealing his truth, because like by the end, it is it is still gone. That was my <laughs> slightly uh, rambling um, explanation of that. But yeah, I, no, I was just no, I was just agreeing. Like it's a great point, though that that part about it. It's like it just preserves the authenticity of his character in that moment. You know, the the realness of it all. Um, also, Quint is very clear-eyed in this mm. scene. I, there's a noticeable difference in his demeanor in uh mm. in this section of the speech versus the other sections i didn't think uh, i would be able yeah. to notice it and i totally did yeah i think even last week i was just like i can't i can't pick out the bits where he is like sober or not sober but i there's a very mm. clear difference i think it's in the eyes and i think it's in the face mm-hmm. as well and i i think as well in this bit that we're talking about <laughs> There is a a bit where drunk Quint is mm. is still there, or or drunk Robert Shaw is is there because it's when he's talking about the um, uh, he says like we lost lost a hundred men. I don't know how many sharks there were, maybe a thousand. And though I mean his his math is a bit uh, off anyway. We won't get into that. But um, in that bit, it felt to me like he looked a lot redder in the mm. face, like he was slurring his mm. words a little bit as well. So I was like, I think that's a drunk take. Um, but then, like by the time it is sort of like that close up on his face when he is talking about Herbie Robinson, he is like the most lucid he has been 
in like the entire film it, it feels like you <laughs> yeah. can very sort of clearly see he's getting a bit misty eyed as well like not you know crying or anything but there's clearly uh, an emotional element to to what he is is sharing and what he's talking about but yeah i i think i was like oh i, I don't know if i could if i can tell like what the takes were but in this i'm with you mj like in in this bit i saw it i was like there's drunk quint there's next day sober quint <laughs> or a few hours later sober quint um did anyone have any anything else or anything else in your notes that we've we've not mentioned i feel like we've uh <laughs> we've got a lot out of this uh little snippet of the scene no um i i, I don't know i think i forgot to mention but this i i, I just watched the movie again right before this episode uh, we started recording, it just occurred to me that this is the first time I've actually seen it since high school. And oh, wow. I remembered the whole... Yeah, and I remembered the whole thing. So when I was watching the scene, I was like, I remember this. Yeah. Line for line. Um, that's that's interesting. Wow, I has it been that long? Huh. <laughs> that's amazing. The fact that I was able to, like... I guess that's power of retention, right? It's like high school mm-hmm. was eight, nine years ago, and eight, I remember the whole thing. Yeah. Great movie. Speaks to the power of it, I guess. Pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty good, yeah. Yeah, pretty good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's actually it. really interesting, and I know we spoke about this, this quite a bit earlier, so I won't go through the whole thing again, but... I I didn't I didn't know that obviously and until you you came on and we had like mm-hmm. a whole range of, of of people coming on as guests on here and some people are absolute you know jaws obsessives fanatics if you will fanatics um, who watch <laughs> fin attics mm-hmm. yeah who watch this film you know every every week or uh, you know at the very least like what you know every year on Fourth of July and so you get the perspective of of those people but. I the way that you you've spoken about it I I never would have known that this like the preparation for this podcast was only like the second <laughs> the second time you had ever watched yeah. it it just it really mm-hmm. speaks to the the power of jaws and and having that impact you know that it's not just having a good memory because if that was the case you would be able to you know recall in this amount of detail every film you've ever seen and as we said that's that's not the case for the films that don't sort of stick with you for for whatever reason but there's clearly something about jaws that makes it stick with people and it it, it's it comes across in very very different ways i think with everyone that we we speak to about it so yeah that's that's super interesting to hear, to hear about yeah. that. It's kind of blown my mind a little bit as well because I'm just like, oh, we almost have like fresh eyes. I don't think we've ever had a person on the show who is who watches it the first time and then watches it with us. But that could be an interesting. If you have uh, never seen it, reach thing. out and we will get you on the show. Well, my <laughs> my best friend has never watched it before, oh. and I know what you're thinking. How can I be best friends with someone who has never seen Jaws? But he has never seen it, so maybe <laughs> we'll witness how have you not had her on yet on a future episode <laughs> <laughs> i'm yeah, excited about I need that to, one okay maybe <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. maybe we can maybe we can do that watch this space <laughs> you know what i don't um, think my best friend has actually seen jaws either oh let's get them both yeah. on <laughs> <laughs> witness the end of two friendships yep. uh on a podcast <laughs> she, she has played the game with me the board game but 
Oh, I love I love that that's someone's first experience <laughs> of Jaws. <laughs> I know for a fact her husband hasn't, but he, you know, he didn't necessarily grow up in America, so... Um, well, he grew up in Canada. I don't know if that it, makes a difference. So he grew up in Canada with, like, uh, parents who immigrated from China, so, like, they just didn't watch a ton of movies uh. at all. Uh, growing up mm-hmm. so yeah he hasn't seen like most things like like the entirety of your disney podcast sarah would basically be lost on him he hasn't seen like any, <laughs> like any of those movies whoa must be nice <laughs> <laughs> no no i i am happy with being a, a disney obsessive it has its uh <laughs> drawbacks as i realized recently this is off topic now but hey um trying to write something that's like here's all the things you didn't know about this disney film and having just done a c- incredibly in-depth podcast uh, series on all of the disney animated films i was like there is nothing that i don't know about, <laughs> these, about these films so i'm trying to find stuff on the internet that i think other people might not know but obviously I am like the worst litmus test for those things because I knew all of the, the things that I found in my research. Oh, uh, the what a what a hard life it is knowing so much uh, <laughs> about something. I feel... <laughs> uh, <laughs> being sarcastic, uh, just in case people don't understand British humor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I um I do feel like I, I maybe I've said this before, but uh Dean, uh shout out to Dean, I don't know if you're listening, but he there was a prompt going around Twitter the other day that was like if you could do like if you could meet your some of your Twitter mutuals in real life, would you? And he tagged me and said that he wants to watch Jaws with me, and we've never met. Um Mm-hmm. and i was like that's very sweet that's very kind of you i feel like for the rest of my life now i will be insufferable to watch jaws <laughs> <laughs> like i have just determined I think we all have that, that kind of for me right yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, <for sure. laughs> that's yeah. me and with then- um i think with empire it's like I can't like think everybody watches Empire Strikes Back with me is like, oh god, not again. <laughs> because I have to go into this conversation. It's like, okay, now this moment right here, this this shot, look at carefully over here. Like close attention. Like the, the asteroid. <laughs> so <laughs> um, Yeah, I can write a thesis. <laughs> um. <laughs> All right. Um Yeah. Yeah, so then, so I said that. I said, I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm insufferable to watch that movie with. And he's like, well, I didn't say I wanted to watch it more than once with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For now. I, so I, I have a... Yeah. Yeah, for now. <laughs> I have a, a real life experience, a very recent real life experience of this where um, obviously my husband has watched Jaws before. Otherwise, I wouldn't have married him. But... Um, we watched it to <laughs> we watched it together like really recently. It was like after he came after he came on the podcast last week. Uh, he was like, "I'm super in the mo- mood to watch Jaws," and I was like, "I'm always super in the mood to watch Jaws." Um, so we were going through it, obviously like watching it normally uh, as normal people do. Yeah. And there were bits that I like I mentioned earlier. I was like pointing out the um, the drawing 
behind Quint on, on the blackboard with the, the figure in the mouth and pointed that out and was like, oh, that's like foreshadowing for Quint's death. And, and Martin was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And like, re- like really impressed by that. But then obviously this just continued for the whole yeah. film where I was just like pointing out all the, I was like, oh, do you see that? Um, do you see those umbrellas and how they're sticking out of the water and how, <laughs> uh, out of the sand and how they look like shark fins? Mm-hmm. And just, uh, just it just continued. Uh, it just, I wouldn't stop. I couldn't stop. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, I think I messaged this to you, MJ, but I was like, Martin said that like watching Jaws with me now is like watching it with like a walking encyclopedia. And I was like, you're welcome. Um, (laughs) because if anything, I'm enhancing the experience. Right. But, um, a lot of it was stuff that I had already pointed out to him in previous times that we had watched Jaws together since doing this podcast. So I am just repeating myself now when I watch it with him. <laughs> I need to find new, unsuspecting, fresh eyes to watch Jaws with so I can bore them to tears as well. But um, yeah, I it would be a struggle, I think, for me. Unless I saw it in a theatre, it would be like a real struggle for me to mm. like shut up during Jaws and just like let someone watch it yep. because I would just yep. be like dying to talk about it. Um, yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. I mean, I got a third film. viewing. So mm-hmm. I can still do. I still have a third viewing coming up. So you know, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> putting my throwing my hat in the ring here. We'll do the uh, yeah. We'll do the live Jaws commentary at Shark Stock twenty twenty five. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm imagine? Down I mean, a lot of people have been like, "Could you do a Jaws commentary?" And I'm like, "Oh, yeah." yeah but it, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how entertaining it would to be to listen to. I'm hoping quite entertaining because basically what this podcast is. But yeah, um, well, mild spoilers. Yeah. I would like to do one to kind of wrap up our our end, like where we just like watch it. We yeah. watch it and live commentate on it via Discord or whatever. I would love to do mm-hmm. that. I think that that's that and watching it with some first timers i think is uh, is probably something that we can do yeah. once we uh once we wrap things up because we're not going to stop talking about jaws just because we finished the film you you better believe we're going to find more to talk about <laughs> yeah well i think the other thing too is at a certain point the only two people we the only two kinds of people we'll be able to watch the film with is each other and people who have never seen it before <laughs> because everyone in our yeah. lives are going to be like we fucking get it <laughs> You've seen Jaws. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> we get it. You like the film. Um, okay. I I I think we should uh, maybe wrap things up on uh, on on this scene for now. If you've missed off anything that you wanted to say about this scene, then just yell at me now or forever hold your peace. But um, it's uh, uh, been a lot <laughs> to talk about in this scene, and and lots more to come as well as we dive into the rest of this film. Um, but uh, Shoria, it has been wonderful to to have you uh, on the podcast and, and bring in this sort of unique perspective, I think, mm-hmm. as well, which I, I wasn't expecting until the conversation unfolded. So it's been really, sure. really great uh, to have you on. So uh, now is your chance uh, to plug uh, anything that you would like to plug. Uh, so any of your your projects and your your YouTube channel and your socials and anything like that. So yeah, tell tell people where they can find you. So, so thanks so much, guys, for having me on. Um, so you can find me um, on Twitter or on YouTube under my name. So that's that's my YouTube channel name as well. Um, I recently also became a, a writer at Screen Rant, which I'm still in training for. So, you know, we're, we're not going to see articles immediately, but soon. 
um, yeah, so you guys can see me a lot more then. And uh, looking forward to you know, followers or talking to more people soon. Great. And uh, MJ, have you got anything that you would like to plug as well? Yeah. Um, let's see. When are you hearing this? Real Perspective has episodes on Dune and Squid Game out. I think next week an episode on... We were just talking about it off mic. Tick, tick, boom is uh, is coming out. But I also, because we're not doing an episode on this, want to plug freaking Watch the Harder They Fall on Netflix because it is... <laughs> really good and really entertaining and um yeah if you like that sort of like quentin tarantino guy Ritchie style uh give it a watch because it's man it's good i was so i was just so pleased and entertained by that that whole movie so watch that mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it is it's very much on my watch <laughs> very much on my watch list um i uh am making up for all the time uh, i spent getting married and not writing uh, by doing a lot of writing uh, <laughs> since the wedding so um working uh on a couple of looper articles i don't know if they'll be up by the time uh, this episode comes out but um as alluded to i am working on one about the uh, things that you might not know about pinocchio or in my case all the things i already knew about pinocchio and i'm just hoping other people don't know um plus something on new year films i think or films that like have the new year in there somewhere so i get to talk about like phantom thread and snowpiercer and stuff like that when harry met sally when Um, harry met sally (laughs) it Uh, might be on my list i don't know i had to i had yeah i had to narrow it down to to 12 and i left off uh the film new year's eve because it is meant to be good films to watch at new year so um (laughs) <laughs> a lot of a lot of fun working working on that one and getting to talk about some great films so yeah those will be around at some point so um link to get to my sort of author page uh on looper is in my twitter bio i believe so you can find all my stuff there um you can find us uh, on twitter we are at jaws for a minute you can also find us individually i am at sarah buddery and mj is at mj smith 891 uh, if you don't use Twitter or you want to send us uh, uh, an email instead, you can do that. Our email address is jawsforaminute at gmail.com. We are also on Instagram. I'm sticking with that joke, uh, at jawsforaminute on there as well, uh, where you can sort of see uh, small clips of the show, little teasers, uh, and what we are sort of talking about next and, and get involved in the conversation there. So that's been really interesting. We actually get quite a lot of interaction particularly on those like this is the bit we're talking about this week post and and people telling us their favorite things about that scene so that's always really interesting um, and fun to look through so go and check that out give us a follow there uh you can support us in a couple of ways so you can rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts or spotify or uh, your podcatcher of choice um that really helps us out and we appreciate that uh, you can buy our merchandise through Tee Public and Redbubble. Uh, as mentioned before, do have a look and see if they have got a sale on. I know Tee Public has got pretty much uh, every day in November a sale on, but some days where there's not. So just look out for that if you are wanting to snap up a bargain. Um, and if I see any discount codes or we get discount codes sent to us, then I'll put those on our Twitter as well. So you can uh, buy presents for yourself, ask other people to buy you presents, or just inexplicably buy some LJ fan merch for everyone you know. 
uh, and make it a really weird Christmas. Um, so you can find the links to both of those in our Twitter bio. And as always, a huge thank you to Alex, who is at Hex Ghosts on Twitter for his design. You can also purchase our incredible theme song uh, by Kristen Falls. Uh, she is at Kristen Falls Music on Instagram. It was the recent anniversary, I believe, yep. of that song uh, coming into existence or at least sort of being recorded and released. So uh, what better way to celebrate that song's one year anniversary than by going and buying it because it's a great song. Uh, you can find that link in Kristen's uh, Instagram bio or in our link tree on Twitter as well. Also, finally, our coffee page uh, where you can just send us uh, a little donation. Uh, and to say thank you, we will shout you out on the podcast uh, and you will also be entered into a draw to wear, uh, to wear. well, you'll eventually be able to wear it, but to win a piece of merchandise. Um, so definitely worth doing that. And we really appreciate uh, all donations we get through in that way. So I think that is about it uh, for this week. We've got a little bit more Indianapolis month to come next uh, next week as it reaches its thrilling conclusion with a hearty sing-along. So make sure you come back uh, for that episode. But until then, it's Jaws O'Clock somewhere. <laughs>